0: Area, So, hey, good morning. Officially, if you're on campus, good morning. If you're joining us online, we're excited that you are in either one of those places. And I'm going to ask all of us, whether we're here or online, to do something this morning. Can I ask a favor of you? And that is to engage with us this morning. We believe that attending a worship service is great. We believe that viewing a worship service is great. But we also believe that engaging during that experience is even Better. And I want to give you three ways you can engage this morning. Three ways you can do that. One, you can text the word new. Uh, Fitz mentioned that earlier. If you're new with us, text the word new. And we'll just follow up with a link. And that'll help us get to know you and you get to know us just a little bit. We give you the same phone number for all of our text-in numbers. 502-289-1387. So you can text new. You can do that while I'm talking. That is totally fine. Uh, Something else you can do is you, if you are online, let your host know where you're watching from. Engage with the people that you are attending church with. It's okay to talk to them in the chat space while you are watching today. And third, if you want the notes for today, if you want to follow along with what I'm saying, kind of see an outline. Some of you are like, ooh, that sounds good. I can fill in blanks. Text the word notes. Notes to that same number we gave you. And you'll have the scriptures there. You can fill in some blanks as you go. And so those are three ways that you can easily engage as we go through the rest of our morning. Sound good? Excellent. Hey, we're gonna be in the book of John today. So if you have a Bible, if you brought one with you, you can open up to the book of John. We're gonna be in chapter 11. Uh, If you need a Bible, there's one in the seat back. If you look right in the seat back right in front of you, there's a Bible there. You can grab that. You can open it up. Go find the book of John. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke. John in the New Testament, we're gonna be in chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible of your own, or it's in a translation, maybe somebody, maybe grandma gave you a Bible and said, you need to read this. And you open it up, and you start reading, you're like, I got no idea what they're saying. It's probably because grandma gave you a translation that she used that you're not used to. So if you need a Bible and a translation, you understand, just take the one in the seat back with you. You can take it home and it's yours. You're not stealing from the church. I'm telling you, you can take a Bible, it's totally cool. You can use it this morning. And keep it and read every day, maybe. So while you're looking for chapter 11, while you're getting prepared for that, are you guys okay with just a short Bible lesson? I'm aware that some of us have been in church and have been reading the Bible for a long time. And there are others of us who may be new to this thing. And when I say the book of John, you're like, that sounds interesting. Never heard of it. And so a little bit of backstory on the book of John, just so you we are all in the same place this morning. right? John was one of Jesus' disciples. In fact, he was one of the closest three disciples to Jesus. When you read his book, John calls himself the one that Jesus loved. I I don't know. Sometimes that strikes me as arrogant, but I don't think he meant it that way. I think he's just saying, hey, Jesus loved me. That's what he calls himself, the one that Jesus loved. He was the youngest of Jesus' disciples. And he actually was the longest living. He lived the longest out of any of the disciples. And they tried to murder him multiple times throughout his life for declaring his faith, but they were never successful. Uh, He wrote multiple books in the Old Testament. His well-known books are probably his self-titled gospel, John, and the book of Revelation. Those are probably two that you might be the most familiar with, at least in name. And sometimes when we read the gospel, sometimes when we read scripture, you know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, four accounts of Jesus's life. And sometimes there's the same story in all of them. And sometimes there's one story in one gospel that's not in another. And that can sometimes confuse us, but don't let that. Uh, Have you ever been retelling a story with someone and you tell a story and the other person tells the story? It's the same event, but is the story identical? Usually not, right? Usually based on where you were, the angle you had of the event, uh, your your frame of mind at that time, you're gonna see things that maybe your buddy or your friend didn't see. And so when you tell the story, you include some of these details and your friend includes these details. It doesn't mean that we're telling a different story. What it actually means is that we're telling the complete story. We're each offering kind of our angle of what we were seeing. And so Jesus's disciples traveled with him for years, But they all came into that relationship with different life experiences, different circumstances. And so they're gonna bring sort of a lens to the ministry that they saw Jesus do. If you read in Matthew, you're gonna find that he focuses a lot on the lineage of Jesus, kind of the family of Jesus and where he came from. That was really important for him and the teachings of Jesus. You're gonna find a lot of that in Matthew. If you go to Mark, you're gonna find a very short and to the point story of Jesus, just sort of the highlights of his ministry. If you go to Luke, you're gonna find a very historical account. that was kind of Luke's frame of mind was I wanna look at the historicity of Jesus. I wanna prove the historical record of Jesus. And then when you get to John, John's different from the other three in that he focuses very narrowly on the divinity of Jesus. He wants his readers to know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so when you read in his gospel, sometimes you see stories that aren't always in the other ones. Again, that doesn't mean that he's making up stories. It just means that some things stood out to him more. And in chapter 11 of his book, he records a story that I think he really wanted people to know. Because I think in his mind, it was going to really prove that Jesus really was the son of God. And that it should dispel any doubts that we might have that Jesus is who He says He is. So we're going to jump into John chapter 11, and we're going to start reading together, and we're going to kind of take breaks as we go, because it's kind of a long passage. You've got it on your, your Bible there. You've got it on the screens here if you need it. And so we're going to start John chapter 11, verse 1 through 15. Here we go. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's a beautiful story. If you ever get a chance, go back and read that story. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. They're referring to Lazarus. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea. Now, time out there. That seems a little awkward, doesn't it? He loved them, so then he stayed where he was for two more days. Days. Don't let that make you think that Jesus didn't love them. There's more going on to the story. He had a little more knowledge than they did about what might happen. And so the sisters sent word to Jesus, like we said. He stayed there for two more days. We talked about that. Then he says, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you're going back And Jesus gives them an answer. Hey, there's 12 hours of daylight. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus was speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so this is the first part of the story that John is telling us. He's telling us that Lazarus has passed away. And like you, probably I've been to quite a few funerals over the years. I've performed quite a few funerals. And I've never heard anyone, I've never walked up next to someone and heard someone say, I sure am glad they died. Like I've never heard anyone say that at a funeral. Somebody chuckled. It's a little bit of dark humor. I get that. Right? You, you never walk up to someone and they go, man, I sure am glad Johnny died. People don't say that. Now we might say things like, I'm glad they're not suffering anymore or maybe they had a really bad illness and there's peace that comes from the end of that suffering and going to a better place. But you see, we just don't say things like, I'm glad that person died. And, And I think it's because, you see, we prefer life over death. Would you agree with that statement? That seems pretty easy to wrap our head around, right? That we would prefer life over death. And and I think that might be the case because somewhere deep within us, somewhere deep within our core, within our spirit, we sense that we weren't created to die. That's why death stings so much because it seems so contrary to what we believe should be happening. You see, we weren't created to die. We, We often think, hey, the natural course of life is death. But from a biblical point of view, that is not the case. From a biblical point of view, life was the natural order of creation, not death. And so when we experience death, it feels unnatural and it stings because we know somewhere deep within us, we're not meant to experience that. If you've ever read in the book of Genesis, is this the story of God creating? Nothing dies until chapter Three. Look at this verse with me in Genesis 1, through 28. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Continue living. Multiply, some verses would say. Create more life. Right? God is a creative God. He's not creating us to die. We were created for life. And so obviously the question is, well, if God created us to live, then then where did death come from? And the answer is right here. Now, some of you Android users are like, finally, somebody calling out Apple. This is not a knock at Apple products. Although if you do a little history on their their uh, their icons, you might learn something. But there is fruit involved in the story of death. There is fruit involved in the story of death. I mentioned the book of Genesis. For those of you new to scripture, the book of Genesis, it's really easy to find. It's the first book. And you read through and you see that God creates beauty. He creates everything out of nothing. And he creates us. He creates humankind in his own image. And he creates a beautiful place for them to live. We call it the Garden of Eden. They had everything they needed. And then he, this is what he tells them in Genesis 2, 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. God told them, listen, I have created life and it is a gift that you have and you have everything you could possibly need, including me. But if you do this thing over here, death will occur. He tells them very plainly, you will certainly die. And of course you can probably guess the rest of the story, right, Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They took a bite out of the fruit and from that first crunch of that fruit to now, we have been living in a world that is that is marked by the destruction of disobedience and sin. You see, prior to the fall, we call it, prior to the eating of that, the disobedience, there was life. After the fall, we experience death. And so death exists because sin exists. And, and when they took a bite of that fruit, a law was set into motion. A law was set into motion. We call it the law of sin and death, that sin leads to death and that law was set into motion by them breaking god's law he said don't do this they did it what happens sin and death paul summarizes it in his book of romans for the wages the earning of sin is death so death exists because sin exists and and i want to be clear i'm not saying your personal sin causes your physical death or the death of a loved one i'm not saying that. i'm saying that death itself exists because sin exists and we are responsible for that our choices led to that and we might look at Adam and even say well how could they possibly have done that god told them very clearly and yet you and i both know we take bites from the fruit all the time don't we the disobedience of God's word, of the of the moral laws that God has written onto our very hearts, we disobey when we take bites of that fruit that we know we're not supposed to. We experience spiritual death when we sin. When we sin, we experience a spiritual death for the wages of sin is death. And you might say, well, what does that look like? How, how do I take a bite out of the fruit? Here's an easy example. Right, when you click on that link and you watch a video that you know would make your wife cringe, your spiritual innocence and purity dies a little bit. When you hate someone so much that you can't or won't talk to them, the Bible says your hands are as guilty as a murderer's. When you yell at your wife or your kids out of anger and fatigue, their trust in a loving father erodes just a little bit. And when you pop that pill and you just can't stop, your freedom dies and shame takes over just a little bit. You see, that is the spiritual death we experience because of our sin. And so Mary and Martha are very surprised that Lazarus would die. I don't think Jesus was surprised. Maybe that's why he didn't rush there. He knew death is inevitable. You see, because no one can escape the spiritual death of sin. None of us can escape the spiritual death of sin. We cannot save ourselves. That law of sin and death was set into motion and we now live, we call it sometimes a broken world because of that sin. And so that's kind of where we are in the story, right? Lazarus has died and some of you are thinking, wow, this is a very depressing morning. I did not expect to come in here and hear something like this about death. But you see, it's really important that we understand this. That we understand the weight of our sin and the death and destruction that it occurs, that it creates. You see, without that knowledge, we just assume we're good people. I'm not as bad as this guy over here because I didn't do this thing. But you see, no one escapes the spiritual death of sin. Right? Because think about this question. If we don't acknowledge the death our sin creates, how can we possibly appreciate the life that Jesus gives? If we don't fully understand and deal with the weight of the sin that causes death and destruction in our lives and in others' lives, how can we possibly appreciate the life that Jesus gives? Without that understanding, we just assume that we deserve God's love because we're somewhat good people and we've never done anything that bad. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we all have sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God by taking bites of the fruit of disobedience that turns into sin in our lives that then creates death at the spiritual level. And we have to understand that. And that's sort of where we are in the story. Lazarus died, yes, a physical death. I'm talking about a spiritual death with us right now. But let's continue on in the story because the story doesn't end in death continues on so look at me look at this with me John 11 we're starting in verse 17 okay on his arrival Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother when Martha heard that Jesus was coming she went out to meet him but Mary stayed at home Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day, kind of giving him uh, an answer she would know. And he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? She responds, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God who has come to the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary to the side. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And so in the story so far, we know that Lazarus has passed and Jesus has come to the village to, to see Martha and Mary in their grief. And you know, when we experience a disruption in life, when we are living life and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden something comes into our life that is unexpected, we can often find ourselves in a cycle that looks something like this. You see, it says the loss cycle. We're living life, and then all of a sudden something enters life. It could be the death of a loved one, could be the loss of a job, a broken marriage, um, any of those type of events, right? We experience a loss. And when we do, we enter into this kind of grief cycle. We have these sort of natural feelings and thoughts, and nobody knows exactly how long that lasts. It's different for different people. But we all kind of naturally fall into this grief cycle. we ask you, do you think Mary and Martha were in some shock and some disbelief, maybe even some denial that their brother died? Do you think they had some anger? Maybe some frustration with Jesus? I sense that a little bit, right? I sense a little bit of anger. Like, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. They both say that. And then even the crowd says, well, he cured a blind man. Couldn't he have prevented Lazarus from dying? Why did he wait for two days? Right there, I think I hear a little bit of frustration in their voice. Do you think maybe Mary and Martha were worried a little bit about their financial stability? And I don't know that Lazarus directly took care of his family, but given the culture of that day, probably they relied very heavily on the men and their families to provide for the women. And I'm sure their weeping created some fatigue and exhaustion. And so everything on this side of this cycle that we naturally enter into is called grief. And it's natural, and I want to let you know, if you are someone who is kind of stuck in that part of the cycle right now, there is hope. And there are brighter Days. And I would encourage you to find someone who has navigated that and let them talk you through it. One of the worst things we can do when we are in grief is to retreat and try to take care of it all on our own. Because what happens is we get stuck there. These are natural, but it's not a place to remain. It's not a place to camp out. And I think Mary Martha give us a good example of that. Do you see other things in Mary Martha? Yeah, they were dealing with some anger and disbelief and shock, but they also moved into what the Bible calls mourning. Not like the sun, like in the morning, mourning like the next stage. Right, think about it. They sent word out to Jesus, Jesus, come help us. Why would they do that? Because they had faith and hope that he could save their brother. Right, uh, Martha, when he says, do you believe what I'm saying? She says, yes, I believe you are the Messiah and God will give you anything you ask. She's declaring faith and hope in him. Even when Mary gets up quickly and runs to the edge of the city and falls at his feet, that's a sign of surrender, of faith and hope that Jesus can do anything. Maybe he didn't save Lazarus, but he can comfort me. So, what allowed Mary and Martha to stand in faith and hope four days after the traumatic death of their brother Lazarus? And I have to think it's because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I think their faith in Jesus Christ allowed them to stand four days after the passing of their brother Lazarus. You see, their their faith in him moved them from grief to mourning. Let's go back to that slide. Their their faith in Jesus Christ moved them from grief into mourning. And without Christ, that's not possible. Without Christ, we get stuck in grief. And we may think we're moving on, but really we're not. Because Christ is the only thing outside of this cycle that can heal. Nothing within this will heal us. But, but you see, their faith in Jesus moved them from grief, which was just being controlled by their emotions, to mourning, which was doing something with that grief. I love what Matthew records about Jesus in chapter five, verse four. He says, blessed are those who what? Mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, we experience this same cycle when we experience the spiritual death of sin. When we experience the spiritual death of sin, we kind of enter into this little grieving stage. And sometimes we, we get stuck here. Sometimes we get in denial. I'm not really that bad of a person. Or or we get we get hopeless. We're like, there's no way I'll ever conquer this addiction. There's no way I'll develop this habit. So why even try? And we give up, we get stuck, we get angry. Sometimes we get bitter at God. Because of this decision we've made, these decisions we've made that have created depth in our lives and we just get stuck in the grief and we just cycle over and over and over in this grief. And without Christ, that's where we stay. But with Christ, we can move from grief to mourning. Let me give you some examples of what that might look like. You might feel shamed by the choices you've made in life. You might feel deep-seated shame about who you are and what you've done in life. But listen, shame won't heal. It creates guilt and remorse. Instead, maybe admit that sin. Talk about it with someone. Confess it. Create a plan to try to avoid it the next time. And guess what? The Bible says Jesus will comfort you there. You see the difference between grief and mourning. Grief says nothing I can do about it. And we just keep cycling it. Morning says, I believe Jesus can heal me. And I'm gonna cling to that truth. I'm gonna confess this and I'm gonna admit it. And I'm gonna find help because Jesus will comfort me there. Right, you might feel embarrassed to admit you have an addiction. I'm sure there's a, there's a shroud of embarrassment and shame that goes along with that. But embarrassment won't heal. It only creates resentment and depression. I'd say instead, confess the addiction. Seek help from God And Jesus will comfort you there. You might be a prideful, stubborn man that's ruined all the relationships in your life. But pride won't heal. It'll create more division. And so maybe what you ought to do is instead mourn the fact that you've been so prideful, seek restoration, and Jesus will comfort you there. And so when we experience spiritual death, We can also experience the mourning that comes from a faith in Christ that will move us just from grief and hopelessness into a restoration process. And Jesus says he will comfort us there. And he is about to comfort Martha and Mary in a way that I don't think they could have ever imagined. Let's read the end of this story. We're picking up in verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. He's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe in me, you will see the glory of God? So they took the stone away. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe you sent me. When Jesus had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off his grave clothes and let him go. Now, can you imagine being Mary and Martha standing and watching this happen? The, the, the crowd that had come from Jerusalem to comfort Mary and Martha and watch what Jesus did. I'm sure in their mind, they're thinking, this guy is crazy. He's taken away a stone. There's a dead body in there. This is gross. And yet, what does Jesus do? He calls Lazarus back to life. He speaks life. Just like we saw in Genesis, he speaks life into Lazarus. And Lazarus comes back to life. You see, here's the reality of the Christian faith. Our faith hinges on the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Our faith hinges on the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how many books of the Bible you have memorized. It doesn't matter how many scriptures you have memorized. Those are good things. But if they don't point you to reinforcing the fact that Jesus can raise people from the dead, then what's the point? It's the only faith that claims that God has the authority over life and death. You see, our faith hinges on the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Paul says it like this. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people the most to be pitied. Because if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, if he doesn't raise Lazarus from the dead, if he doesn't come back from the dead, then he's a liar not worth following. But you see, he does raise Lazarus from the dead and he does come back from the grave and that gives us hope that we too might experience the same thing. 1 Corinthians 15 says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ raising Lazarus from the dead and resurrecting from the grave himself proves that he has power over life itself, over that law of sin and death that we talked about earlier. You see, Jesus tramples that law. He sets into motion a new law of spirit and truth and grace. And so here's where we are in the story. Lazarus died. Jesus comforted Mary and Martha in their mourning. And Jesus brought Lazarus back to life. And he can do the same for you. And he can do the same for me. Our sin causes death and destruction. But Jesus will comfort us if we choose to mourn that sin rather than been stuck in grief. And then he will breathe new life back into us. Yes, life eternally with him, but life now, right now. So we're not walking around like zombies, thinking we're alive, but we're really just dead. And So you might wonder, what does this even look like in my life? Let me give you some examples. Is your marriage dead? Maybe it's on its last breath. Maybe you've been in that situation. You think maybe right now my marriage is beyond saving. What if instead of grieving and being lost in hopelessness, you mourned that relationship and you clung to the truth that if Jesus can bring dead things back to life, he can breathe new life into your marriage. Is your addiction killing you? killing your relationships do you think maybe you're beyond fixing what if instead of grieving that addiction and being trapped in it what if you mourned the loss of the freedom that you found the shame that you've experienced and instead cling to the truth that if jesus can bring dead things back to life he can breathe new life into your heart and your mind and your soul and radically transform you do you see what what christ can do I mean, it's amazing, right? Maybe maybe you feel like a failure as a parent and it's eating you alive. Of course, no one knows it because you live in silence and fear. But maybe you feel like a failure as a parent because of something you've done in the relationship with your children. Maybe you think nothing can fix this relationship. I've got an idea of someone who can fix a relationship. He brought a dead man back to life. I bet if you mourn the fact of you've done some things and you regret that, but you move past that and let Jesus comfort you, maybe he can breathe new life back into some of those broken relationships. You know, some of us have been believers a long time and traveling with Jesus a long time. And sometimes that makes us proud people. Are there any of us here today who are proud Christians? We come to church every Sunday. We think we're not that bad of a person, almost as if we deserve the grace of Jesus. There's a lot of us like that. I think maybe instead of living in denial, maybe instead we confess the pride in our hearts and we mourn that and let God breathe a new life back into our walk with him. And then it doesn't have to be this stale, you know, legalistic, we have to go to church, we have to do these things or else I'm not a good person. All that gets washed away. And instead we become a new creation in Christ walking with him in freedom and in love, helping others do the same. Right, you see, Jesus can breathe new life and bring back from the dead anything. All right, maybe are you a Republican or Democrat that thinks their party is the one that Jesus would be a part of? Do you think maybe a political party can resurrect something that we've lost? Maybe some of us need to confess some of our political entrenchment and the and the waywardness of our heart and say, you know, I'm not trusting in any party. I'm trusting in the person of Jesus Christ who can bring the dead back to life and can do that in my soul. Do you see this applies everywhere in every situation in our life? We experience death as a result of sin and we're called to mourn that. And when we mourn, Jesus will comfort us and he will breathe new life back into us. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is the gospel message, that we were dead, Jesus saved us, now we're alive. That's the story of Lazarus. Lazarus died. Jesus comforted them and brought him back to life. And he can do the same in me and the same in you. There is no situation beyond saving. There is no person beyond restoration. Because if Jesus can bring a dead man back to life, he can do anything. Are you understanding that this morning, that Jesus can bring life to you? That's what we do in baptism, right? When we surrender to Christ and we're buried to ourselves, buried to sin in the water of baptism, we're raised into a new life in Christ. We're bringing, being brought from death to life. And then we're set free to live and to help others find that same freedom. But I have to say, if the only time we die to ourselves is in the water of baptism, I think maybe we're missing the bigger point. We're missing a greater calling that Jesus has for us. You see, in another place in scripture, Jesus says, if you wanna be my disciple, someone who follows me, you have to take up your cross, he says, daily and follow me. What did the cross equal in that time period? Death. You have to take up your cross. You have to die to yourself And let me be your new life. And then you can help others. Then you can be free and restored. So we experience spiritual death. We can't escape it. But should we choose to mourn, Jesus will comfort us. And then he will breathe new life back into us. And that is the power of the gospel. I want to close by reading a a passage from Ephesians. Paul is writing to the church and I think he summarizes beautifully what I'm trying to say to you this morning. He says this, as for you, as for me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in the way you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of flesh and following his desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see, it is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in the kindness to us in Christ Jesus for it is by grace you have been saved through faith not by yourselves it is a gift from God not by works so that no man can boast Let's pray together this morning. God, thank you for bringing Lazarus back to life. Because if you can conquer death, that means you have authority over life. And so God, we cling to that truth. Help us not to be prideful people who think that we're good because we don't do such and such sin. That's foolishness, God. Help us to deal with the fact that we sin. And as a result, we create death and destruction in our own lives and in the lives of others. But the good news of the gospel is that we're not left there. We don't have to grieve that. No, we can choose to mourn that and be comforted by you. And we can choose to confess that sin and and to enter into a relationship with you. And when we do that, you will breathe new life into us. And not just one time in the waters of baptism, but every single day, you can breathe new life into us. I pray that none in this room are missing out on that. If there's anyone in this room or online who has never experienced the freedom that comes from a relationship with you to be set free not just to be uh, not just to be saved but to be set free and to be able to walk in freedom. God I pray they don't let another day go by without experiencing that. And for those who have been following you for a while, may we not become numb to the fact that our sin created your death. Help us to mourn that but to know that, that we're not stuck there and that you can breathe new life into us and we can be full of energy and optimism and enthusiasm in your name for the sake of the world. So Jesus, thank you for conquering death, for destroying the law of sin and death that was set in place and instituting a new law of life and of spirit and of truth because we couldn't have done it on our own thank you for that, Lord. And we pray all that and the powerful, resurrecting power of Jesus' name. Amen.